Hey this is Sayyam Botani and you're listening to Chai Time Data Science a podcast for data science enthusiasts where i interview practitioners researchers and calculators about their journey experience and talk all things about data science Hello and welcome to Quarantine Content with Chai, the Chai Time Data Science Show. In this episode, I interview Connor Shorten, who's someone who's been creating amazing content on the YouTube channel titled Henry AI Labs. You should check it out if you haven't. And a podcast called Machine Learning Street Talk. Connor holds a master's from Florida Atlantic University, and he has been creating his amazing content for a few years now. I really enjoyed his content and in this episode as you can imagine we talk all about his process how the process has affected his growth his thinking and approach to materials corners videos usually summarize a lot of cutting edge research and we talk about his journey through this process of creating content i think one key takeaway that i'd like to pass on to the audience is uh, please don't wait for you to become an expert to write that blog or create that video or give that talk at a virtual meetup in 2020 you should be joining virtual meetups and not in person ones please do that uh, try to teach yourself from 3 or 6 months ago instead of trying to teach in an expert it's a huge learning experience it has been for me and corner definitely would agree with me on this with that message out Here's my interview with Connor Shorten. Please enjoy the show. To another amazing content creator, Connor Shorten. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So I want to start by talking about your master thesis, which uh, to me was very fascinating. You studied about augmentations and investigated GANs in using image augmentations, particularly. Can you talk a bit more about that? Uh, what did you work upon, and what were your uh, findings there? Sure. So that was kind of my first, uh, like, get really getting into deep learning research papers and getting into the. I think a survey paper is is a really great way to start. And I say I'm I'm still in that phase myself in my research. career early on is working on these survey papers where i try to aggregate things and then you, you know maybe use more of my writing and presentation skills to add value to the research community because i think you need to have that background before you start diving deep into new papers although i think there could be some kind of you know play between the two but for me it was really important to do a survey paper and get a good sense of what's out there and what's being done. So my first paper, uh, the guy, my advisor told me to get into data augmentation and they were studying uh, like healthcare fraud claim data, which is like, you know, the structured table data. And so I just kind of ventured into data augmentation, looked into all sorts of different kinds. And then I became the most interested in how data augmentation is used in computer vision, because it's, it's pretty interesting to me that you take these image data sets and then you just like rotate them and flip them and and now you have a bigger data set and that actually works and 
So I've always, I think there's a lot of interesting vision projects. I've done a lot with like basketball kind of stuff where I try to get like the highlights out of basketball games. And I know this process of building your data set is brutal. And this idea that you can, (laughs) (laughs) it's quite a task to build data set. And then, so this idea that you can just augment the images and then get better performance is really exciting. And then, so getting into the literature, I saw a lot of interesting things. The, the most obvious data augmentations are just the geometric transformations, like rotating it, shifting it, flipping it. Then probably the next obvious one is the color space transformations where you just, you know, shift the red histogram down a bit so that you get this new variation in the color distribution. Then I'd say you get into like cutout, which is like dropout in the input space where you just take a rectangle and just random noise in there. (laughs) Then like adding random noise. And then you start to get into these more interesting things like the idea of using generative adversarial networks or any any kind of generative model, not particularly GANs. You could use VAEs, flow-based models, autoregressive models. But the idea of like learning the data distribution and then like supplementing a training set for a supervised learning model with that data was really, really interesting to me. Hmm. And then, so then there's a lot of other interesting things like the meta learning controllers, like auto augment, RAND augment and the population based augmentation where they do this kind of like hyper parameter optimization for how to introduce the data augmentation, like a curriculum learning where you have first, you're just rotating it like a little bit, and then you're really rotating it like crazy, shifting the colors dramatically. So this kind of curriculum that comes out, I mean, I think there's so much interesting area, so many interesting areas of data augmentation that are being explored. Like I'd say the big one over the past few months is like consistency regularization, where you just explicitly have this loss function that says, make the same prediction of this image as you will once I rotate it. And then in addition to that consistency regularization, there is uh, contrastive learning, right? With like momentum contrast and sim clear where you take the image and then mutate, uh, rotate it. And then that's the positive key. And then you learn representations that way. So this idea of data augmentation, particularly seeing what we can do with generative models, I'm really interested in like this idea of transfer learning with generative models. Like imagine taking a GAN and training it on this like ImageNet, uh, what's it called? Like uh, 21K that they just yeah. trained the big transfer model on. Imagine like learning a generative model on that and then transferring that into your data set of interest and like meta learning that can generate data for that can augment your data set. To me, that's like really interesting. So I'd say I've, I've kind of put a pause on that because I, I was really getting into generative adversarial networks and I was a bit intimidated by kind of like the computational requirements of that enough out of memory <laughs> errors that, <laughs> that I had to just like, <laughs> yeah. <have> like a, <laughs> And like three gigabytes of memory on the GPU I use in my okay. home setup. So I, you know, I, I really do need to get in the cloud, but then I've had a little bit of a qualm with like, uh, you know, accidentally spending too much money on, on, the, uh, <laughs> on the GPU. Yeah. <laughs> so I haven't, that's kind of the next step I'd say for me is to get more comfortable with that. But yeah, so just enough out of memory errors that I put a little hold on that to kind of survey and <laughs> also, I think like another thing with it is I got so into data augmentation and GANs when I first started studying this that it was pretty overwhelming. Like I needed to step back and kind of see the whole deep learning landscape a little bit. So like I started off really specific and that kind of made me burn out a little bit. I needed to take a step back and just cover something like Mu Zero or BERT and, you know, just to get a sense of what this is all, what's all happening. Yeah. 
certainly i think i and your research uh, was happening around 2016 2017 if i'm not wrong no i don't i don't know what happened it was all 2019 but when i submitted the thesis for some reason it says it's written in like 2014 i wasn't even in college in 2014 okay. so i don't know how that happened yeah i'm sorry i picked it up from there but uh, so yeah and you were working on augmentation which is sort of an assumed important stuff in the pipeline but no one really talks about it because transformers right now is sexier to talk about so to speak <laughs> Well, yeah. So I recently read the, it's like a visual guide to data augmentation and NLP. So what interests me the most about data augmentation and NLP is the most obvious ones, like the rotation for NLP is to probably replace words with their uh, nearest neighbors in like a glove embedding space, I think. Not like, I don't know. I, I don't think like the byte pair tokenized or a sub word tokenized nearest neighbor would be the best way to do that. So I think just using like the, like the Stanford NLP library with like gen sim and just getting the nearest neighbor that way. I'd say that's like the obvious way to replace like awesome with amazing and sentences and <laughs> stuff like that. So, and then there's sort things, of a synonym yeah. replacement. Uh, if, if we can call it that. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say that's like the obvious one, but, I think things like what excites me is a paper called Pattern Exploiting Training, which hopefully I'll make a video on soon when I get the energy for it. Please <laughs> check like, out um, Henry AI Labs for that. I really love uh, Connor's <laughs> videos. Do check them out. <laughs> But so, um, so they have this way of using the pre-trained language modeling objective to augment data sets. So say you're doing like a uh, question or natural language inference. The example they give is like, you have these two sentences it's like Mia uh, it's like Mia hates pie and something like Mia wants a piece of pie or Mia would want a piece of pie. And so you'd augment that by having the two sentences and then you'd put in the mask. So it'd be like Mia likes Mia hates pie. No, Mia wouldn't like a piece of pie. So you can augment the data sets by using the mask. And so I think that kind of way of using these pre-trained language models to supplement because I mean, building the text data sets might actually might be more brutal than building an image data set. Maybe. Yes. I mean, yes, yeah, <laughs> I, I can see that happening. Yeah. Yeah. W- once you build enough image data sets, you learn how to just like extract the video frames and then group them by like 50 at a time and put them in the folders. But with the text, I think you have to be way more careful with how you label it. So, yeah. So I think the data augmentation NLP will be interesting as well. I, so I've seen the pattern exploiting training. Uh, what else about I'd say yeah that and like the synonym replacement is the noise inject I really haven't seen too much that is really exciting I mean they're they do something called round trip consistency with trying to make like uh questions for question answering that are like just generated but I haven't been too it's kind of like the filter for whether a question gets added to the data set is whether the model can answer this synthetic question correctly so to me that's like well then what's the point if it can already answer yeah. it why yeah So yeah, it's definitely exciting data augmentation. I mean, how do we get around building large data sets, right? That's mm. the, that, and then like, how do we make the model smaller? Like two of the most like fundamental problems of this, right? Totally. Uh, so you, you mentioned uh, what the techniques you mentioned involve a bit of natural language understanding. Another paper that I had read, Easy Data Augmentation, EDA, they just talk about four techniques, uh, synonym replacement and random deletion, insertion, such things. So uh, connecting that with uh, images, so you, you worked on uh, generative techniques for augmentations, but that itself would involve a lot of compute, which 
may not be possible for all cases what are your thoughts on there and another thing would be gans don't generate the best images until you throw a lot of compute at them and mm-hmm. possibly if you have a smaller data set uh, you really need really good images maybe that's the reason do do you, uh, do you see any use cases where uh, gans can be helpful uh, directly that's underutilized for example for a language like gans like a for language images or, or language uh, any of those oh, well I, i don't think I think like uh, Oriel Vignals and I don't remember the other co-author, they had published this paper where they use big GAN to augment ImageNet and it doesn't work. And then they showed that they use that vector quantized variational autoencoder, like how they use in the jukebox paper. And that performs better at augmenting data sets. But I think it's because of this problem of mode collapse with the GANs where the GANs tend to really just produce a few images they don't really like cover the whole distribution mm. as well as a variational autoencoder does but then i think they tend to be sharper images so i think that's kind of the trade off is the i mean i'm not like completely an expert on this i like the gan i think is a sharper image and the variational autoencoder covers more of the distribution from like the highest level overview of the two things but so they compare those two techniques for how well they can augment image net and i and it doesn't really work but there's a lot of other papers like dermgan which is a like a google ai health paper where they're using the image to image like the pix to pix model to basically like we have this problem with class imbalance especially with like the skin cancer classification where right. you know you might only have certain lighting certain like skin colors certain conditions so you can use the pix to pix model the gans to augment class imbalance that works really well so I say the solution to class imbalance is the is the biggest success case with it but then I haven't really seen anything that jumps out to me that, that I can remember that where they use a gan to produce more data and then it results in a much better classifier and it's probably because like the generative model is just overfitting to that little training data is giving you yeah. more of it <laughs> so it's probably just adding more of the bias in your limited data set which is the whole problem with the limited data set in the first place so maybe the that's why i'm so interested in transfer learning cuz hmm. maybe you can cover more of that like natural image manifold with the you know like a big transfer gan you know that and then you take that and fine tune it on your data set and it can you know extrapolate from the distribution one other interesting paper is like uh, i think it's called on the steerability of gans is from some researchers at MIT who look to find augmentations in the latent space and see how far you have to travel like they've done the style gan where they train it on face images and then they explore the latent space and can find like cars and stuff in the latent mm-hmm. space so this paper is like what's hidden inside of a randomly weighted style gan where they search what can you find in the latent space that will turn into an image as it goes through this randomly weighted style gan so i think zander makes uh, time lapses on twitter that he constantly posts that that are from these yeah 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 it's it's interesting it, the but the question is how far is that latent space like it's like this added distribution detection kind of thing which i think is now where you know i think that's challenging to do something like added distribution detection interesting um so now switching gears to another uh aspect of the field that you've been active uh, for creating content uh, how did you decide to start your channel when did you decide to do it what was the leading decision to that what was the factor that pushed you to it Uh well I'd say for me it was like I had been writing blog posts on like medium and in towards data science for maybe like a year and a half before I made my first YouTube video 
So I was already kind of like really enjoying this process of like trying to, you know, just share what I was interested in and put it out there. And it's fun. It's exciting. So I guess there were two things that maybe really started it for me. I'd say the first thing was, so I, I took a deep learning graduate class and you know, the professor lectures and it's kind of boring. And then at the very, (laughs) and then at the very last two months of the class, he had assigned this like paper reading list. And so everyone in the class was picking these papers, like playing Atari with deep reinforcement learning, uh, the different optimizers like Adam RMS prop. And then, you know, me, I did super resolution with convolutional networks. And so everyone got up and did like this 10 minute presentation, which is exactly how my videos are. It's just a presentation of slides. It's like something you'd see in a class. And that, so that changed the energy of the class. Like it was, it was now like very exciting and fun to -hmm. go to this class where everyone was presenting the research papers. So that motivated me a lot. And then the second thing was when I did my like thesis defense and I was in this room presenting my thesis, I'd realized like, I've never like said these words out loud, you know, like, like I never said like generative adversarial network, you know, like, so I had to learn how to like present and be confident with like saying these things and communicating them kind of like orally in a presentation rather than just like, and also like what I've learned from doing this is when you are just writing down, you read the paper and then you just like say, grab a sentence and then paste it into your blog post and then you just read it and then write your little bit and then you're done with it. But compared to having to like memorize it and then like present it in the slide, I'd say that kind of like that reinforces the idea more in your own mind, I think. I I certainly agree. I don't make presentation videos. I don't think I'm qualified or educated enough for that, but I definitely agree with you. Uh, Do you, sorry, go ahead. Well, I just think, I don't know. I mean, I don't think you should be like, intimidated or be like oh i'm not educated enough because like i definitely am not you know like i just have a go at it and <laughs> i think like it's how you learn you know i don't think you, yeah that, that's that was, that's my excuse for skipping it <laughs> <laughs> you got <Yeah>. me <laughs> uh, how, how how did you deal with uh, the imposter syndrome definitely happens to a lot of people because you uh, and you've been lately summarizing late uh, latest cutting edge research so there's this is always feeling of uh, this is the latest research someone uh, might find a mistake i might mess up uh, the imposter syndrome comes into the picture how how did you battle that if if at all well i mean i i i do like make a lot of videos that i don't put on youtube because yeah. i'm just just like you know uh, i don't think this is well explained but even so i think that like even though i'm not like the best you know like Jeff Dean, Quackley, like Oriel Vigneault, that like top tier level. It's like just people I think can get value from someone who isn't quite at the top too, because I think that the way you explain it, you're more likely to speak in like language that is understandable. Like that's kind of my thing is when I first started reading these papers, some of them would be written like almost as if the author is trying to confuse me. It's like, they just get, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's like, especially because like the way that these academic papers are written is they like will cite, they're citing all these papers that once you read several papers, you understand the paper that they're citing. Like you can just see the last name and the year and you, and then you remember the whole paper. So that's how like an expert reads these papers. But to a beginner, it's like, you know, it's like as done in this work, we do a similar thing as done in this work we do. And it's like, you don't know the work, so you can't relate to it. And then you're totally lost in the paper. So I think that's what I really would like to do in my videos is to be good at doing the related work. 
And so that's why I think actually the imposter syndrome, it's like, do you, I don't think you need to be an expert to make videos or blog posts. And I think that there is value in like, let's like, here's me learning this. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Rachel Thomas also talks about this. Think of your target audience as someone yourself from six months ago, rather than Jeff Dean or uh, Geoff Hinton, because they, <laughs> they're just the 1% of this niche that we, we're part of. Right. Yeah. What percentage of people are experts, I, you know, that are interested at maybe like 95 or not, I'd say. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> completely guessing. <laughs> I have no yeah. idea. But yeah. How has your process evolved uh, from when you started blogging and then uh, into video? Did you see your process change? Have, have you learned through that process? Have you enjoyed it? I don't enjoy editing. I, I'm going to say that out loud. <laughs> yeah, well, um, yeah, we so we started a, our machine learning street talk YouTube channel where we have where we do a bit of editing and it's gonna, it's pretty brutal. It's <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> a lot more than in my videos. But so when I first started making videos, I would just record it as like one long take and I would make like 20 slides and just record the whole thing as if I was like presenting it to my class because that was sort of my original motivation is like I want to give like a really great presentation in my class. So that kind of I think that's challenging to make videos of that style. I know Yannick makes his videos like that where he reads a paper and then he's just, this is just his forward pass through it. You're not like, it's not mm -hmm. edited, but I just go through each slide individually now because I think it makes it more densely valuable for the context of like a YouTube video. Yeah. So, Cause it's like, I get to gather myself and then like go into each thing. So that's probably the biggest change is I went from doing one long take to I record each slide individually now. And then, uh, what else have I learned? I mean, maybe just like little things like the style of the video. Like I have this new format where I try that like intro and then I do like the little animation and then yeah. I try to do it, trying to figure out, I think that's like, that's the key now that I'm trying to crack the code of is like, what is the outline, the high level for how I tell like the story of this paper? Cause I don't want it to just be like, here's the technical details. I want it to be like, this is how this relates to these other things that have been tried. This is why it's exciting, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> kind of yeah. And I, I, many people might be surprised by this, but I've, I've been following you on Twitter for quite a while. And I, to the best of my knowledge, you just use a laptop, a lot of highlighted papers and just a simple <laughs> mic for, for all of your videos, even though they look really nicely produced, like as if they have been produced by studios that correct. Yeah, yeah, it's very bad production value. <laughs> but I, I mean, yeah, I just, it's, I mean, I have this new microphone. <laughs> you know, I, I got, <laughs> I got this really recently, but there's actually a lot of troubles with this kind of thing. It like, I need a pop filter. That's going to be my next studio upgrade. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I started with like the Snowball, the Blue Yeti Snowball. It's about like $40, I think. And it's fine. I mean, it's better than the laptop microphone, but my thing is like, it's still better than like, not doing it, I guess, even if the production value isn't so great. Yeah. <laughs> so I just try it anyways. I just wanted to point that out because, uh, and I think I, I can speak on behalf of thousands of people like me that have enjoyed your content, that content creation cannot be that expensive if, if you <laughs> think about it in the right way. You And even this mic, I don't think would be very expensive if someone were to pick it up. And that's yeah, all you need to get started. I'd like to point that out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, yeah, it, it can be intimidating because especially like, 
you know, putting your voice out there is a bit like, is I, I can't even watch my videos really because it's like hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to listen to yourself talk, especially with a bad microphone. And if you're putting your face in it too and you don't have like a camera or whatever, <laughs> you're yeah. like, I'm just on the webcam with a laptop. <laughs> Makes yeah. sense. So uh, another thing that I've really respected about you is uh, many people sort of do this, please subscribe to my channel, this is coming out, X, Y, Z is happening. But uh, you also got it to an audience by itself. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, creating content and getting it to the right audience? How, any advice, is there anything you've learned through the process? Um, well, I wouldn't say that I'm just like completely not promoting it at all. You know, I, mean, I am this, sure. This, this one extent <laughs> where it almost it. becomes spam. Uh, we were just talking about this offline, but uh, there's, there's a nice balance where it doesn't feel like it's just annoying. Right. There's like a cadence to how you like post on Twitter and all that stuff where, you know, you don't want to, it's not even like, I mean, the Twitter algorithm actually kind of helps you do that cadence too, because it's not going to like promote your tweets if you're doing like five a day with like, yeah. watch my video, do this thing. But, um, so yeah, I mean, I, what I do is, I have like the Facebook groups, the Twitter, Reddit, you know, <laughs> just try, I try to get internet. it out there, but I, yeah, <laughs> the internet, yeah, internet. but I try not to be too like, I don't know. I try not to be just the right balance. Not like constantly shoving it in your throat, but then also like, please watch it. <laughs> you know, I yeah. worked on it. So yeah. Makes sense. How do you find the resource that you'd like to summarize and other uh, areas that like you'd like to clear content on? Well, this has been kind of my experiment for the last year is like, as I was talking about earlier, doing, getting into generative adversarial networks. I like got to the point where I was studying like Wasserstein GAN, uh, like really technical details about how like big GAN, these little, like, like the orthogonal regularization and the sampling, uh, I can't really remember it off the top of my head, all these things, but like you get, I got really into that. And so I was getting into like the math and trying to figure out like the energy based models, what the, what is a Wasserstein GAN compared to like hinge loss or whatever. Hmm. So getting so into that kind of made me overwhelmed. So what I've been doing this last year is trying to take a step back and get like a general sense of deep learning and what's going on, like to try to get re-motivated. Like as I've been doing this, I'd say what interests me the most now is like model-based reinforcement learning is incredibly exciting. I really like to study more about like how people are measuring generalization. Like Yashu Bengio talks about systematic generalization. Francois Chalet's paper on the measure of intelligence talks about all these different kinds of generalization. So that's something I'd really like to get into things like, uh, you know, model compression, distillation, pruning, uh, quantization, if I didn't already say that, <laughs> but like it's helping me get a better sense of what, like what I want to dive into. So that's been really great. So, I mean, really, I just like kind of follow Twitter, follow the Reddit. I started this like weekly update thing, which really for me is so valuable because I get to just do this thing that I'm seeking to do, which is get like a general sense of it. So yeah, I pretty much just like whatever is interesting, I, I have a go at trying to make a video about it. <laughs> Makes sense. There's, there's also another aspect of not many people would like to read research papers and uh, your videos are uh, catering to a wider audience. Do you think uh, keeping up to date with the research can be useful to people outside of just the academic world? Um, well, I, I think like as an investor, there could be some value. Like 
if you're following like covariant AI with Peter Abiel and I think they just raised like $40 million and then following things like hugging face, which is like, you know, cutting edge it. If you are keeping up with the cutting edge, I'd say that like you would have a better sense of why hugging face is so exciting. Like, you know, like if you're, if you're not up to date with like, you know, if you're still thinking like, you know, if you don't understand transformers and that whole idea, and I don't know if you need to know the technical details of it, but I'd say keeping up with the cutting edge just, helps you understand even from a business perspective, like what is so exciting about these companies and what are they doing differently? But, you know, I mean, I do, it's tough because I do think that there's a lot of noise at the cutting edge. Like there's a lot of papers that come up and then die out. And then, yeah. And every time a new paper comes out, like agent 57 or one of these things like jukebox, it's like, boom, it's so popular. You think it's going to be like the idea of the year. And then the next week it's like completely died out kind of. So it's an interesting, I, I can't compare it with like something else, you know, like I don't have a background in something like, I don't know, genetic engineering where I can contrast it with another discipline. But it, my experience is it's this trend of like huge hype, huge hype, and then dies down. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's, I'd say the cadence of these papers. It's, it's still the early days of machine learning, if I do say that. So the research is very active and that's why there's, there's a hype cycle to every single paper that, that comes and goes and repeats itself when another paper comes out. Right. And it's such a quick hype cycle. Like it iterates, the hype cycle iterates so quickly. If you sleep on Twitter for two days, you're going to miss it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, my phone usage is way up now that I've been checking Twitter for like the news of my update videos. <laughs> okay. Um, is there any unexpected uh, growth for you personal or uh, professional that has come out of creating content? Anything that you didn't expect that happened? Um, well, I'd say I'm definitely like more confident talking about it, more confident in this being like my career I want to pursue. Because I feel like maybe like, you know, I'm, I'd say I'm not even deep into it. Like maybe like three or four years into being like, I want to be a research scientist in machine learning. So doing this has helped me like form my identity, maybe start to like put my own name out there and become a part of this community. And it's helped me like doing the machine learning street talk thing with Tim and Yannick has taught me so much. And I'm, you know, being on YouTube has helped me meet them. And then we're meeting, talking to all these people. Like we talked to Jonathan Frankel, which was awesome. And we talked to Harry Valpolo last week, who's founder of a company where they use model-based reinforced learning for industrial process control in it. So that's been the unexpected growth is how much this has helped me meet other people. I, I always thought that doing this would make me better at presenting it and communicating. And I, you know, I definitely think that like making something, even if it's a blog post or a video or like coding it or something is going to help you understand the idea better. So I always had expected that. I'd say the unexpected thing is that this helped me meet a lot of people. Like, you know, even meeting you now and doing this is like really cool. And I'm meeting people in this world. It's, it's really amazing for me to be able to talk to you via the podcast that I started with no expectations of being able to do that. So I, I definitely echo your, uh, your words there. Um, it's also amazing, like, um, how global we can be with the podcasting and these things. Like, I'm here in Florida, and, like, you know, we're, like, across the world with no latency. Just, you know, like, when we do our podcast, uh, Tim is in, like, the UK, and Yannick is in Switzerland, and I'm here in Florida, and we're just, like, talking to somebody in Finland. It's, like, that's another kind of funny thing about this is, like, kind of how global this podcasting can be. 
Yeah, totally. Uh, so this video will go out after I've recorded my birthday special, but in that I would have already answered this question. Has COVID-19 affected this process? And Chai Time Data Science has been completely remote since the beginning. Content creation has been remote, I think, for you also. So maybe COVID has affected activities outside of this stuff, but not really the process. Yeah, well, definitely it hasn't like, well, it's made it, uh, it's hard to say because like, obviously, like, I'm just grateful that I'm healthy and safe, you know what I mean? And my family is okay for now. And it's like, so it's hard to complain about it. But it is hard, like, just in terms of like motivating yourself, because like doing something like getting out and going for like going to the gym, or like going to the mall, even is like, it helps you like have motivation to make content and study deep learning <laughs> you need that i, I miss overpaying for chai <laughs> <laughs> yeah i haven't been to a starbucks yeah. <laughs> what is chai does it have caffeine in it i am not sure i've never looked that up um <laughs> that's the most important <laughs> it's like i probably al- if- <laughs> already consume a lot of it so <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah one one thing that uh, and this this is sort of an open question to you. One thing that you're yet to do with your videos, but haven't is is there something in in the works that we can look forward to? Well, I really want to do more coding and like build more things. That's like I mean, obviously that's the point. That's what we're all trying to do is build cool things. So for me, it's been like I had gotten a like a it's like a. 1040 with three gigabytes of memory on it like two years ago and that helped me find through getting through my master's degree in my first year of grad school but so now it's like you know obviously there's the cluster at the university but it can be at least in, at our case it can be a little bit like you're in the queue for a while because there's a lot of people yeah. using that cluster so for me it's like do I want to go to the cloud where you know I think that, you know, I could set these small budgets and start to get used to it and get comfortable with it. So that's kind of what I'm working on right now. But just like the computing issue to me has been like something, I mean, it might be like a bit of a weak excuse and it might be just me being lazy. And this is how I justify my laziness. That's probably more so what it is. (laughs) 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 But definitely just making more stuff. Like I've only made videos, I made like a Rapids feature engineering for one of the Kaggle, like the NFL thing. And I made like a video on how I use computer vision to cut out like my dunk workouts and do like a vertical jump test with it. But I just haven't built enough stuff. And that's really what I'd like to do. Okay, awesome. Uh, before, before we end the call, I'll have all of your amazing things that you've been up to linked in the show notes. But uh, would you like to mention any where people can find you again, connect with you? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, so I'm on YouTube at Henry AI Labs, and then I'm doing a podcast on Machine Learning Street Talk, which is also on YouTube. It's also on the other um, like podcast platforms, but Tim and Yannick have been doing that. I haven't been really doing that. I like to just stay on YouTube. But that's like what I know. And <laughs> But definitely like um, I would like it. To, it's hard to keep up with messages. You know, mm-hmm. I know you're aware of that as well. So like I'd say like Twitter is the best way to connect with me. If you're interested in like, tell me about your project or something. I definitely, that's another thing I I didn't mention is another like thing I'd like to get into is like just doing like 
question answering about people's projects and like having people send me like emails of this is my project, this is what I'm working on. And then I could like give my two cents as a part of like a YouTube show. That would be really awesome if I could get that going too. And sort of a virtual meetup. Well, it'd be more like, it'd be more like a consulting thing. I don't know if it's like, I don't know if I have quite the, I mean, I'd say I could help people with their project. I've done calls before with people where I, they've told me about their project. So, mm-hmm. but like to do it on the scale of that, where it would be like a weekly show and people like can just email me their projects. That would be really awesome if I could build that too. But yeah, so Twitter is definitely my platform of choice other than YouTube. <laughs> I just looked up your handle. It's C shorten three zero. So audience, please don't be lazy. If you're lazy, you can already just look that up or just find it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> cool thanks so much Connor, for joining me on the podcast and for all of your content that you've been creating for the community oh thank you so much and awesome youtube channel and you know just keep doing it and getting better and trying to learn about deep learning Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give it a review or feel free to shoot me a message. You can find all of the social media links in the description. If you like the show, please subscribe and tune in each week to Chai Time Data Science.